Well, good morning, and as you know, it is Mother's Day, and customarily we have uh, an opportunity to pray for the moms, but you know, an interesting thing happened really to me this year in regards to this. Um, I was thinking about Mother's Day, and I was thinking about, you know, what, what kind of prayer would minister to you ladies? And so I actually ran into a group of ladies here that were having a Mother's Day luncheon, and um, I just kind of snuck in, and of course there was food, so why not? So I snuck in there and just, I asked them that question. There was nine of them. I said, I'm going to be praying for you. What, what kind of prayer would minister to you ladies? I never knew Mother's Day was so complex. Serious, serious. This is, there was nine of them. So they begin to talk about moms, Mother's Day and their moms and, and life as a mother and such. And, and two of them had uh, moms that were sick and elderly getting ready to maybe pass away. Three of them had moms that had passed away. One of them was adopted. She never even knew her mom. There was a single mom that was wishing that she had someone to help her because she never got a break with the kids. There were two that were not even able to have children. They weren't even married. And one, the same way, she had adopted a child, but yet still there was that part of her that was just so sad, and that she actually, in a sense, dreaded this day. And so the, the, the kicker on this, I started sharing this with my wife and talking to her about this, and she immediately starts crying. And her mom passed away in 2011, and she was just being honest. She was, Rob, I, I don't like Mother's Day anymore. Mother's Day for me was always about my mom. So why do I say all this? I think the Holy Spirit wants all you ladies to know no matter where you come from, you, you may be the one that is here that, you know what, you are so blessed beyond belief. Mother's Day for you is the greatest. But I know, I know, I know that that's not the way that all of us feel, all of you ladies. Am I right? So Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. The Lord knows what you're going through, ladies. And so what he's put upon my heart is to have all the ladies stand. I want all the ladies to stand because directly or indirectly, Mother's Day is impacting you today. All the ladies. And on top of that, the list went on as we just begin to talk about the ladies in the body, the ones that are estranged from their moms, those who are struggling with abortions that they had, miscarriages, the loss of a son or a daughter, those moms who have sons or daughters that are addicted to drugs, that are incarcerated. And of course, the ones who had abusive moms. It was like, oh my gosh, Lord, I'm going to have Dennis pray because this is like too much for me. And yet he wants you to know. And brothers... I want you to lay hands on these ladies right now. We're going to pray. The Holy Spirit is going to speak and minister and encourage you this day that he knows how you feel. And yes, this may not be the greatest day for you, but he is here to lift you up, to encourage you in the midst of it. So brothers, lay your hands on our sisters around us. These are our ladies. This is our family. And the Lord is here to minister. So Father, thank you again so much for these ladies. And Lord, I am so thankful that you know exactly how they feel. 
You're the one that can comfort them. You know, and you're speaking, you're ministering, and I pray even now you would lift them up for the variety of reasons, Lord, that maybe their hearts are weighed down. Lord, set them free today. Lift them up. God, we thank you so much for moms. Lord, thank you for my mom. Lord, thank you that I know she's in heaven and I will see her again. And so, Lord, minister, bless, we pray these dear, dear sisters. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Maybe see it. Oh, glad I got that over with. <laughs> Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. And if you hadn't figured it out yet, the, uh, with all the worship on love, the message this morning, love, a more excellent way, 1 Corinthians 13. So the year is 1965. There's a man named Hal David. He's driving in from Rosalind, New York, to his office's in Manhattan, he's meeting up with Burt Bacharach. And he was a songwriter. You know, Bacharach was the composer and such. So these, this chorus to this song comes to him, and he loves it. It's just like, oh, my gosh, it's so cool. So he's trying to come up with the verses. But he's struggling with the verses because of the verses, the whole song is being sung to God. He finally gets the verses. He shows it to Burt. They put the music together. And, and they believe they have a hit. 1965, mind you. They pitched the song to Dionne Warwick. It's the only song that Dionne Warwick turned down from those two. The only one. So they kind of shelved the idea and they're thinking, well, what's going on with that? Then Liberty Records gives them a call. Jackie DeShannon comes into the picture. She comes down to the studios there. She sees the song. She hears it. She sings the song. It goes to number seven in the United States, number one in Canada. And interestingly enough, Dionne Warwick picks it up a year later. And of course, that's the rendition that I remember most. What's the name of the song? Say that again. Put it up there in the screen. What the world needs now. It's love, sweet love. Now, you youngsters out there, you're like tripping. You're like, what's up with this stuff? I don't know what you're talking about. It's a great song, a great song. And, and you got to Google and listen to it. I mean, it's just so cool. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. Now, you think about the 60s. 60s were crazy. No crazier than today, though, as far as the world goes, as far as hate and the fact that they, we needed love. John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Two months later, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. Watch riots broke out in August of 65. 1968 was the height of the Vietnam War. Man, did we ever need love. But yet nothing's different today. And the heart of the message for us today is that what we possess, what we have, what we sing about, the world needs to hear, needs to see that in us. Because ultimately, you think about it, most people, they just need to be loved. They need to be told that someone loves them. Now, we think, yeah, there's, you know, we, we, we all have that. That's not the way it is. My wife works at Martin Luther King Hospital at the RCC, Recruitative Care Center, for the homeless 
who are released from the hospital, they can't just, it's humane just to put them back in the streets. So they bring him into this facility. It's right next to the hospital there. And they minister. They get him, they try to find housing for him. They try to get him even healthier. And the thing about it is, is that she says that so many of them, their lives are such a wreck. And yet when you pour out love upon them, even in their state, even in their homeless state, life comes. There's joy that comes in, in reaching out and loving these people. And as Christians, there's got to be a greater emphasis, I believe, at this day and age to pour out love upon people. Why? Jesus said, what are the greatest commandments? One and two, love God and love others as yourself. By this, they will know your what? My disciples. So what type of love does the world need to see? The type of love that I love my mom with? My mom was easy to love. I was one of those kind of Mother's Day kind of guys. I love my mom. She, to me, was just great lady, sweet. Um, that's not the kind of love, though, that impresses the world or Jesus. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 13. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 5. Here is, here is love. Here is love Jesus style. The kind of love that, that he poured out upon people in this world. Matthew 5, verse 43. And one thing I want you to note, there's no disclaimers. There's no exceptions down there. No, no little asterisk that says, except if... So what does he say here? You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That wasn't true. That was what the, the Jews came up with. But I say to you, love your enemies... Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be what? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You may be imitators of him. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors the lowest folks then, the tax collectors, do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you should be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians. That's the type of love that Jesus was impressed with. And this is the type of love that is beyond our feelings, beyond emotions. It's about a willful choice, a, a choice but also a command the Lord asks us to make. Now, Jesus set the bar there in, in that phrase. I actually wish it was not even in the Bible, you think about it. This is amazing, that kind of love. Are you kidding me? Love your enemies? You ever really think about loving your enemies? Anybody got any enemies out there, people that have just wronged you? No, it's not within us to do. And this is the type of love that the world needs to see, Agreed? And this study, for me, I, I did apportion this for the men's ministry, and it has so challenged me. You see, I can, I can tell my wife and my kids, I love them all day long, and I do, and I hope you do as well. But when it comes to just, and I'm talking about verbalizing our love. When it comes to telling everybody else, anyone else, it's a little harder. And, and the Lord's helping me here, but like when Pastor Jeff got here, he was telling everybody. It was like a contest, Love you, love you more, love you most, love you dearest. And 
Like even in the back there, we'd be like going back and forth, back and forth. He wouldn't, he'd go down the hall uh, and he would think of new things to say. Love, love you greater and greater. Love you. Yeah. Love you. You all right there? I mean, that's, and he really brought this on. But what was really helped me is the definition of the Greek words for love. Because we only have one word, which is so lame. The Greeks had really four major words for love, about seven total. And these words here, we have storge, which is family love, love for your son or your daughter type. Phileo love, we all know that, brotherly love, friendship. Eros love, the love between a husband and a wife, the sexual love and such. And then the kicker, agape love. Agape love, the unconditional love that God pours out upon us that in 90% of the times the word love is used in our translations, that's the type of love that Jesus is talking about. Agape love, unconditional. And my, my brain is being rewired because it's almost like I want to walk around and just say, say the Greek to my brothers. Hey, I phileo you. I can say that, you know, or, 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 or even agape you. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm freeing up. See, and, and really, I'm finding out it's okay to say I love you. Because what's helped me is I'm not saying the same word that I would say to my wife. Because to me, that's sacred. Am I right? You say that word love, it's like I mean it when I say love you. Not that I don't mean it when I say it now, but it's like it's not the same word. And I'm okay with that. So you following me here? You good with that? See, we're just conduits. That's the idea that Jesus is talking about when we are to agape others. It isn't so much my love in me, it's the love of God coming to me, through me, out to you, out to people that you meet, out to people that you don't even know, out to people that you see in the streets, coworkers. I mean, you can freak some people out. You walk up and say, man, I love you. <laughs> Brothers, be careful saying that to women in front of your wives. That probably wouldn't be the best. But you say, honey, I'm just agape. It's agape. See, I need to learn to let this flow. And, and this is the love that Paul is referring to here to the Corinthians in a more excellent way. And he lays this type of love out for them because the problem with the Corinthian church was that they lacked love. They had love for those they liked, just like us. But then they struggled when it came to others and there was a, the division, one of the major problems in that church. Paul gives them instructions into true love and in chapter 13, it's all about love. It's so cool. In between chapter 12 and 14, all the gifts, all the stuff that the Corinthians prided themselves on, but he says, uh-huh, in verse 31 of, of 12, but earnestly desired the best gift, yet I show you a more excellent way. Paul was trying to get them to understand the heart of Jesus. Corinthian believers, you're missing the whole thing here. So they had great spiritual gifts. They had right theology, right works but they had not love. So starting with this passage, we're going to try and get through this quickly. I haven't taught here for quite some time. I'm teaching men's ministry, and I go on like for 45 minutes plus. So if I get you out of here in time, praise God, but I'll, I'll do my best. I'm telling you, it's just tough to teach this so fastly. I always speak fast anyhow. But anyhow, verse 1 through 3, the prominence of love. That's what this, this passage is all about right here. Basically, Paul's saying, love is greater than your abilities, your gifts, anything that a man can possess, what he does, what he says, 
how he uses those gifts, if it's not done with love, zero. Useless. What they said was nothing. What they had was nothing. What they did profited them nothing. No recognition, no reward, no, no putting that up in heaven. So he says here in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And of course, the Corinthians pride themselves on being multilingual, speaking multiple languages, but also the gift of tongues, the speaking of the tongues. They pride themselves on, yeah, we got that. I mean, that was one of those gifts that was like, they, they kind of would put themselves over here. Well, I speak in tongues, but I know you less spiritual people, you're still working on this. Paul says here, nothing. And he says, tongues of angels. This, this was, you know, the Greeks prided themselves on their ability to speak. And I'm not one of those, but they, they prided themselves on that kind of the, the eloquence that was there. To approach perfection, to be silver-tongued, you know, that expression. Another source of pride. But without that love, it was useless noise. Useless noise. Verse 2, though, he goes on to say, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have a, all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And they were great gifts. Great gifts. There were spiritual gifts in Corinth like no other church. Prophecy, discernment, knowledge, great faith. They had them. Paul even encouraged them to pursue the greater gifts. But without love, they were nothing. They were nobody. And he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. They, they were affluent there in Corinth. And so they would give, give their possessions, giving themselves in a sense, and, and Paul, and I, think, I think he's mocking them a little bit here, sacrificing all they have, but without love, it profits nothing. No credit, no reward. See, love, you guys, greater than all the things that I possess, the gifts, even what I do in his name. Love is greater. Paul shows in the prominence of love. Now here, the, the properties of love, verse 4 through 7. It's the most comprehensive, really, biblical definition of agape love in the Bible. Fifteen different characteristics. Seven of them are positive. Eight are negative or contrasting. It's what love is, what love isn't, what love does, what love doesn't do. Um, and the words are all verbs. And what's a verb? An action word. Love is not stagnant. You've got to move in love. And, and a great exercise, and you've heard this before, I'm sure, but in this, as we read through this, verse 4 through 7, that where love is, we put Jesus, right? We put his name. And it shows us how Jesus loves us. But an even greater exercise is, as we read through this, put your name where love is. And that will show you how you love others. And it's a great test. It's, it's like a, a love quotient checkup to, to see how much you possess these characteristics. So let's go through this, see if we can do it without going on to about 1030. And then, and then in a sense, ask yourself, how are you doing? Number one, love does not envy or is not jealous. Of course, that means to covet or burn with zeal and and. and and it's like, I want what you have, but also, I don't want you to have what I don't. Envious, jealous. It's like those that were in Israel. I was pretty envious of those folks in Jerusalem and Israel. 
I didn't let them know, of course. I let everybody else know, but not them. I didn't want to bum them out. That's what we're talking about. Secondly, love is kind. Now, this is the evidence of long-suffering, okay? Love is patient, can tolerate suffering, can tolerate, uh, back to number one, can tolerate suffering for a long time while enduring difficulty and stress. But love is kind. It's the evidence of long-suffering. It's like the story of Stephen. Remember when he was being stoned? What does he say to those who are stoning him? Man, Lord, do not charge this to their account. Then number three, love is envious, as I shared. Number four, love does not parade itself or brag, trying to cause others to be envious, like walking around with that brand new ring that you got to maybe today, or the car that's in the parking lot. You woke up on Christmas Day and there's a big bow on your brand new car out there and you want to drive it to your family members and show it to your sister, your brother, whatever. Drive it into co-workers, into your, your office, honking a horn like, hey guys, look what I got. Or you, or you take a picture of your, your nice, big, brand new house and you Facebook it to everybody. Love does not brag or parade, but also it's not puffed up. It's not prideful. It doesn't think that you're better than others and it doesn't flaunt itself. It's not arrogant. It doesn't behave rudely. This is an interesting one here. Unbecomingly or improperly, it means being ungracious and considerate. And here's, here's an area that uh, I struggle with. Um, making fun of someone thinking that you're funny. I just can't help myself sometimes. It just, stuff comes out, and you think you're funny, and it is funny, and yet someone is the recipient of that. Amen? Just being honest with you. It doesn't behave that way. Number seven, it doesn't seek its own. Not selfish, not self-centered, does not have a what's in it for me attitude. What can I get out of this relationship? Number eight, love is not provoked, driven to outburst or aroused to anger. And in reality, love, it's, it's dead to self. It's dead. You crucify yourself. It's not about me. It will not respond. Think about that. Love will not respond when provoked. I'm not going to enter into this. I'm not going to jump into the ring with the devil there. But also, number nine, love thinks no evils. That's to conjure up evil thoughts. It, it doesn't suspect the worst in everybody. It doesn't become cynical or negative. And it keeps no records of wrongs. How are you doing with the list? It's amazing, this list, isn't it? Number 10, it doesn't rejoice in iniquity. See, it finds no joy when bad things happen to people, any people, friend or foe. That's a tough one, huh? Because you always got that little, they, they got what was coming to them attitude. No, that's not love. It doesn't glory in sinful behavior, but re, rather rejects that sinful behavior. That's what he's talking about here. It rejoices in truth. It's glad when others do good. And when truth is acted upon, especially the Word of God. Love bears all things. It means to, to support or to cover. And it puts up with the shortcomings of others. You have your difficult people you hang around with or you know, and you sit there and you just say to yourself, goodness gracious, if they would just do this or do that. 
See, it, it bears those things. It puts up with that. And here's something to think about. Love prays for instead of gossips about. Now, none of us gossip in this room. I know that. But think about that the next time you're tempted to say something. No, I would rather pray for that person rather than to gossip about the problem that they are or how much they bug me or how much they drive me crazy. It bears all things. Love believes all things. And and love is ready to believe the best in anyone and to give someone the benefit of the doubt. Now, it's not gullible or blind to sin, though. Got to keep that in mind. But it does not presume the worst, like, like Job's friends. You know, they did good for seven days there, but after that, they just unloaded on Job they knew he was a wicked sinner. They knew it. So it believes all things. Number 14, though, love hopes all things. God's love is hopeful. It doesn't give up. It, it does not get discouraged. Love never changes, as we sang here this morning. It's always optimistic. And then lastly, number 15, love endures all things. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It means to run up and to support. It never gives up or gives in. Keeping, again, no record of wrongs. And and in this list, we see this is true agape. Because none of us can fulfill this. We're we're supposed to try. We've got to do our best. But this is the the love that, that comes from God that we just let this flow right through us like a conduit, not even putting into it our own emotions or thoughts or personalities, whatever. No, this is love. This is what God commands us to do for others. And then lastly, number three, verses eight to 13, we have the permanence of love. How am I doing on time? All right, doing good. Verse eight says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. What Paul is saying here is that love will never fail or end or cease to be. Love will remain forever. See, love is eternal because God is eternal. And love, of course, is from God. And really think about it. It's the only thing that's going to go with us to heaven. Everything else is done away with, is gone. Everything that is of man, the gifts given from God, they'll all end. Prophecies, they're going to fail. They're going to fade away. The gift will cease to be exercised because there's no need. All the prophecies will be fulfilled. Tongues, unknown language will cease. No spiritual language, no need for interpretation at all. These gifts were given to help us in our relationship. We won't need it. Knowledge will vanish away. It'll be useless. What we know in part now will be replaced by absolute truth. And I wrote my notes here. I just love the fact that when we get to heaven, guess what? Evolution is just going to be trashed completely. And I just, it's gone. The lie of evolution done away with. In verse 9, he says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, what we know now is only partial. It's not complete, of course. Verse 10, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. And that which is perfect speaks of Jesus. When he comes, we're going to see perfection. See, the imperfect and inadequate gifts will be done away with. In verse 11 and 12, 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. What he's saying here, the idea here, is that the, the knowledge which we have now compared with the knowledge that we will have in heaven is like comparing infancy to adulthood. We see in a mirror now dimly, but when Jesus comes, it's going to be completely clear, you guys. We're going to see perfection. See, now we have gifts, but when Jesus comes, we're not going to need those gifts. And Paul is saying, really, to the church there, quit putting so much emphasis on these spiritual gifts, you guys. You're missing the whole point. You're missing the true gift, which is love. And why? Verse 13, because the gifts will not remain. And now abide, or now remain, faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And we see here, love the more excellent way. So we, we ask ourselves the question, how are we doing? How was your love question? How are you doing with the 15? How did you do with that list? And of course, you probably checked off some, oh, pretty good here, so-so here, yeah, struggling here. Now, when you think about it, though, what would the message be from Jesus if we were to come to the earth and begin to walk the earth again? Now, it's obvious. Love. Sweet love. And, of course, that's the message that you and I need to continue to share to get out there into this world. And, and I believe, really, what we're lacking is, is verbalizing that, making it clear to somebody. Now, there's a guy that I met at, at the gym I work out at. And I got to tell you, I've never met anybody that I really can see in him this love of Jesus. Now, I, I call him the preacher of, of 24-hour fitness. So I'm serious. The guy gets up on his elliptical, and he's an elderly gentleman. He knows everybody. He talks to everybody. It's his church. He stays there for hours. He ministers to people, but the most incredible thing is he tells them that he loves them. And he, he's up on the elliptical. Someone will be walking in. I'll be right next to him. And love you, love you all. So good to see you this morning. You're looking good. And then, then one of his, his, like his favorite lines are is, I never lived until I knew him. Aren't you glad that you know him? Isn't Jesus good? Isn't God good? And he goes on and on about this. And he doesn't bring his Bible in. He doesn't beat on people with, with you know, the scripture says this. You know what? He personifies this agape love. He does not let a person get away from him without telling them that he loves them. And I'm so embarrassed. He'll introduce me to people as his pastor. He's, he's the pastor. And then he says, oh, I'm not that. And it's amazing to see. It has challenged me to the max. And I'll get there and he'll, he'll want to start singing songs and hymns and such. And up an elliptical, like I'm trying to get like 20 in and he's just going real slow so he can sing. But, I, <sighs> but he doesn't just sing. It's not like this me and him singing, you know, we were singing the other day, Wednesday, sing this with me, sing this with me, he says this. And he, he, we're singing the chorus of come let us adore him. He goes, I'll praise his name for, and sing it. And, he just, and, we're, and it's not like He's loud. And the, the cool thing is, he's, he's not crazy. He doesn't come across as being that way. To Some people would think that, you know, this guy's a, 
No. He is so genuine and people cannot resist him. He literally is shaking hands and loving on people with the love of Jesus everywhere in that gym. And that's the challenge for us, you guys. That's, that's what the world needs now. That's the kind of love that Paul, even one of his final exhortations to the Corinthians, he said, let all that you do be done with love. And you know what? There's, there's, there's a room full of people here, a church full of people that I see as great lovers, that, that all we need to do is get out beyond ourselves, get past ourselves, and let the agape love of Jesus flow through us. But I know for us, for myself, I can do a better job. I can do a much better job. And there's only one way that that can happen. How can I increase this love for others? How can I freely walk up to somebody I don't even know? And with the joy, sincere love of Jesus in my heart because of what he's done for me, how he's blessed my life, he's saved me, he's given everything. And just seriously, man, I love you. How can that happen? Only by the power of God's Holy Spirit, which is so needed in our lives today. And so this morning, just an opportunity. If, if your love quotient's lacking, you need some help in that area, um, and you want the Holy Spirit to fill you, to, to give you a brand new desire and, and um, power to go out and, and love this way, I want you to stand, if that's you, if you're here today. Just stand up and let the Lord speak and minister. You need some help in this area. I mean, we all need help in this area. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray for all of us. Because we have it, you guys. The world doesn't. And yet, it's amazing what can happen in a person's life if you just simply walk up to them and just tell them, I love you. In Jesus' name, in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these here Lord, acknowledging as myself as well, Lord. God, we we want to be loving. We want to be more loving, Lord. We believe that we are loving. And yet, Lord, so much of that love is directed towards those that are easy to love. Those who love us, Lord. By your spirit, come upon us, Lord, and give us a fresh, brand new strength and power and desire to turn around and be those lovers that you need us to be, Jesus that you've touched us, that you've spoken us, that you've commanded us to be, that we would have that agape love for everyone, Lord, because we know that is your love for them as well. So bless these dear saints as they go. Father, speak and minister to their hearts even more, even further in this short time, Lord. I pray that they would meditate and ponder. And God, you would challenge them. You would bring opportunities. And Lord, you would fill them to overflowing and, and, and be able to see the look on someone's face when they just verbalize this simple phrase, I love you. Bless Lord this day. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.